I hope that you have learned by now to not watch the news. But if you are, if you just feel compelled to just indulge yourself in it, I try to remind myself of something. We didn't have our Southern Baptist Convention this year. But last year, we went to Birmingham. In the days leading up to that convention, there were a lot of things that were said that were horrible about the Southern Baptist Convention and about the dissent, about all the problems, about the fighting, about the battle royale between different factions of people. If you believed what you were reading, and it was hard not to because it was everywhere, you believed that when we got to Birmingham that there would be bloodshed because people were going to start to go to war over the things that they believed and thought. But when we got there, and there were almost 20,000 of us gathered together, and we actually began discussing the things that we were talking about, it turned out that a handful, just a very small group of people, were taking extreme points of view and blowing it up in the media. But when we were actually there talking to one another, what we discovered is we agreed on most everything. In fact, when you would vote on something, it would be 90, 95% of the people voting in favor of something, if not 99% of the people voting in favor of something, with a handful of people speaking up and saying something. But when we actually were there seeing each other face to face and talking to one another and actually realized that we actually had a chance to have interaction, we realized we had so much more in common than we had differences. And when I travel around the country and so forth, you know, the things that we are talking about are not new. I, I think that, that sometimes we get in our mind that all this is new stuff. This is, none of these conversations are new. People who have ideas look for opportunities. They look for opportunities to express those ideas, to get those ideas out there, and, so, and to take advantage of a moment when they think that this, that there's, that somebody's going to hear them, that somebody's going to hear their message. So they, they got your attention, and they, the world is looking and reading and everything, and so they get those messages out. The, the newspapers, and magazines, and, and news reporters, and so forth. When they have a story that people are interested in. They throw something else they always wanted to say into that story because they've got your attention. My children do that. They they try to get they have something they want to share and they know I don't care about what they want to share. But when they find something that interests me, then they'll they'll be talking about the thing that interests me and then they'll kind of throw in the thing that they want me to know about too. Uh, and and it feels like feels like that everybody's divided and nobody's together on the same page and everybody's at war with one another because all you hear and all you see. But the reality is, is that that's not true. It's not true. Not only is it not true in the United States, it's not true in the world. I mean, you travel to other countries and you meet with people who are from other countries, from other ways of life. You meet people from China who grew up in a communist regime. And you actually talk to families and parents and homes and so forth. And you realize, ah, we're pretty much the same. It's like, it's almost like one person created all of us and, uh, and we all have a common background. Uh, and uh, and I hope that uh, as, as we're reading, as we're looking at this gospel connection, to see that our focus last week, one, a, a primary point of last week's message was that we stay on message, that we don't lose sight of that, that that there is a unifying factor. Now, granted, that people there is a 
a problem in our world today, and that problem is sin. And we, the more we proclaim that, the more we share that, the more people get irritated with that message because there are the factions in our world today are that uh, are the people that do not want to follow Jesus nor submit to his leadership, and there are people who do. That's an eternal separation. That's that's never going away. That started in the Garden of Eden. There was a uh, Satan did not want to submit to the leadership of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So he rebelled. And then he said, I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. I'm going to move into God's creation and get as many people to follow me as I possibly can. That's it. Two factions. It's all there's ever been. All there ever will be. You either follow God and submit to, and, and God says, I'm going to clarify who I am and what you're actually, what I'm actually calling you to. So he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to say, this is me. This is who I really am. And if you like me, then follow me. And if you don't like me, then you will be judged. You'll be judged. You'll, you'll, if you do not follow me, then I'm going to I'm going to elevate my son and make him king. And if you refuse to bow down and worship him, well, you're going to bow down in subservience to him for all eternity, and you'll be cast out of the kingdom. That's his warning. It's an invitation. You're welcome to be a part of this kingdom. I'm, this is my world, he says. And we sing that song, this is my father's world, and it is his world. And so we are, and, and so this is the battle that's taking place. So the things you're reading in the news and so forth, that's just, that's just people talking. So don't, they're just people who think they have something important to say, but they don't. And so just don't pay attention to it. Do not pay attention to it. Stay on message. We have something important to say. And they don't want to hear what we have to say because it cuts to the quick. Nobody's ever wanted to listen to it unless they want to, unless they are looking for good news. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, let's look at this real quick because I want, I want these verses to kind of, we're going to move through them pretty fast each week because during this series, it's all the series all focuses on this, but in case you don't read them, I'm going to make sure you see them, at least for a brief moment. Here they are. This is after Peter gets done preaching and and uh, shares the gospel with them. It says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. That's what we're going to focus on today. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Today... We are looking at the gospel connection in our home. The gospel in our home. Kind of a subtitle today is bringing the gospel to life. Now that's kind of, 
I've said this before, I like double entendres. I like things that have dual meanings. And and this is one of those, bringing the gospel to life is about making the gospel alive in your home, but also bringing the gospel into your existing life. And both those things come into play here. So we're talking about you have your home as it is. The gospel needs to be a part of our home, of our home. And it's more than just putting pictures up on the wall. I think that's important. I think it's important that we put pictures up on the wall, painting, scripture, writing, and so forth. I I think when people walk into your home, they need to see that it is a gospel-centered home just by looking at your house. That it's a home that follows Jesus. So find ways. You don't have to put a picture. Somebody bought me a picture of the Lord's Da Vinci's, the Lord's Supper. You don't have to do that. Uh, But you can have lots of reminders that this is a home that centers around Jesus. And and think of a creative way to do that. But I think that's important. But it's more than just that. It needs to be reflected in how we live our daily lives. And so today we're going to look at just how, just by being who God created us to be, just being uh, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, just being kids, by being good workers, being who, what God designed, the roles that God gave us, and doing it as God designed it. We live, again, the world is not going to proclaim this because the world is in rebellion against God. We proclaim this. And if we do it, the way God wants it done, if we follow his admonition, we do. We look and say, oh, this is what the Word says. This is who the Word says I'm supposed to be. And when we're obedient to that, then God magnifies the gospel. It draws people to Christ. It makes people say, how can we have that? And it has to be something that everybody can have. It can't be, oh, well, I was born this way, or I was born in this area, or I was born of these people, or, or this, is, this, this is what happened to my children, or whatever, whatever circumstance. If it doesn't work in every circumstance, it's not God. I mean, Jesus came to everybody. I mean, he transformed everybody he encountered. There, was a, there weren't people that came to Jesus. He goes, no, 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 you weren't born to the right people. You weren't born in the right way. You were born the right color. You were born with the right religion. You were, none of that. He just comes to everybody and says, I have the power to transform people into who they need to be. But you have to believe that. And that's what he does. So as we pray, let's pray that one, gospel would bring the gospel into our lives, in our homes. And he'd open our eyes to who we need to be. I hope today, I hope that you won't freak out on me. Because we're just going to read the word and I'm going to tell you what it says. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you're cool with that. But uh, sometimes I've had people freak out on this passage, but you're not going to do that today. You're not going to do it. We'll save that for the 11 o'clock service. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for how good you are. And Lord, may you open our hearts to your word. Show us how we can have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, in our homes so that our very life as a family is a witness for Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. First thing, bringing the gospel life as it pertains to husbands and wives. 
<laughs> I laugh at this. Well, I'm, I'm glad my wife's not in the room right now. It makes it so much easier uh, to be bold. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't have to keep looking at her going, what, is that okay? Is that okay? Is that okay? Um, but uh, I'm still thinking it. But the when I get into husbands and wives, why I laugh is because is throughout minute, my entire ministry, I can't tell you how many times husbands have come to me and said, Preacher, you need to preach on this to my wife. And how many times wives have come to me and said, Preacher, you need to preach on this for my husband. And funny thing is, it's the same passage of Scripture. <laughs> it's the same, same portion of God's Word, and they're both reading it to their own benefit. And I, I highlight that to each of them. It's like they say, you need to say this. It's like, well, have you read that whole passage? It's like, that's, that's not really kind to either of us. Uh, it's, it really is a, an unsettling thing. Here's, when I do premarital counseling, and I've shared this before, and we get to a place when I say put your priorities in order and so forth, and I, I've told you before, I don't ask couples to tell me what their priorities of life are. I just say, I don't care what you think they are. Here's what they are. And here's what our priorities of life are, as given by God's word. Indisputable. God is first. Now, when I say God is the first priority of our life, I'm not talking about your religion. I'm not talking about your ministry. I'm talking about God himself. As if I were to say oxygen is a priority for your life, that's because that's what you breathe every day. Without God, we do not have anything to sustain our life. That is why He is the first priority. And I, I use this illustration all the time when you're flying. My son's on an airplane this morning going to Montana, so I, he's, he's getting this treatment. When you're on an airplane and they say those oxygen masks come down and they say, they give you instructions every time you fly a lot, if you've flown one time, you're going to get this speech. And that is when the oxygen mask comes down, the cabin loses pressure, the oxygen mask will drop, take the mask and put it on your own face first. There's a reason for that. My wife really struggles with that because she's like, I don't want the oxygen for me. I'm going to give it to my kids first. And I look at her and said, you'll pass out and then you all die. That's why they're saying you got to put it on your own face first because you can't live without oxygen. So no matter how well-meaning you think you are, because I have same people in their attitude about God. I love my spouse more than I love God. They think that sounds good. That doesn't sound good at all. I love my children more than I love. I put my children first. They won't say more than God. They just say, I put my children first. You don't put anything before God, because without God, you do not have what you need to care for other people. He is the thing that sustains you. He is the thing that makes you who you are. He's the one. He gives you the love that you give to other people. And if you sever that relationship with God, if you are not getting fed by Him, you don't have anything to give anybody. He is the source of everything good in you. So if you cut that off, you don't have anything. Your life doesn't mean anything. You're just dead weight in this world. You're that body over there who doesn't have in, on an airplane that didn't put their mask on. You just pass out and you're useless. Now other people are having to save you. But if you go to God first, and He's first in your life, then He makes you all that you need to be and you've got your right relationship. So God's always first. Second, if you are married, it is your spouse. If you are not married... It's everything else. So we're just going to talk to married people. If you're married, your spouse is next. That means before your ministry, before your religion, 
were everything else. Now, I used to say children were third, but I have to clarify this because I don't want you to think that children, like you've had your spouse and you say, don't even worry about your kids. They don't even matter because that's not true. So I say your spouse is 2A and your children are 2B. I told my kids from the very beginning, I said, let's get something straight. I love your mother more than I love you. I just want you to know that. If it comes between you and her, I'm choosing her. Be straight about that. I'm trying to get rid of you. I'm keeping her. So I don't know if that's your goal in parental life, but that was my goal. That's what my dad taught me, and it's fairly biblical. Children leave and cleave and go off and marry somebody, but the person you leave and cleave to, you stay cleave to. Till death do you part. And so you have to have that mindset. I don't forsake my children. I love them. But in the same way that Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother and your father, hate your brother and your sister, hate yourself, then you can't follow me. He was saying, I have to be the number one priority in your life in order for this to work. The same way it is with your spouse. They have to be that next priority. You, and as a husband and wife, you have to say, we are going to make this work for the benefit of everybody else. Because if we can love one another as Jesus loves us, then we are enabled to love other people in the same way. This is, this is pivotal. Because if you want the gospel to be real to your children and to everyone else you encounter, if you don't have children, if you're a couple and you don't have children, then you still are a gospel witness just as a husband and a wife to the world around you. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Paul, right off the bat, you can tell he doesn't have a wife, right? I mean, you tell that he is not trying to appeal to women because the first two words he says are wives submit. How can you get out of a church service without being unscathed by just throwing that out there? Because you are, could be cool with it if you've read the Bible, but he's saying it for the first time here. He's throwing this out. He's, he's making this. He's writing this, giving it to people and seeing it for the first time. Wives, submit. And I have so many. This is the one I have so many. Would you, preacher, would you tell my wife that she needs to submit to me? I get that. And don't tell her I told you to tell you that. To, you know, <laughs> that's also, that comes after. Don't tell her I told you, but would you tell her? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now here's, here's an incredible point of clarification. The word submit is not the word obey. The word submit is not the word obey. Paul does not say, wives, obey your husbands. Now he's going to use the word obey twice here in just a little bit. But in reference to wives and husbands, he does not use that word. And he doesn't use that word on purpose because he's not trying to talk about wives just doing everything their husbands say he says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord meaning he says because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church he is the savior of the body he is saying the way God has orchestrated the family He is established just as in the Godhead, the Father is the head. Christ is submissive to the Father as well as the Holy Spirit. 
In the church, Christ is the head, and we as the church body submit to Christ and to his headship. In the home, the father is the head, and the family submits to the headship of the father. And he is to be as Christ to that family. Now, before we get any further than that, surely men can hear that that's not an easy task to take on. That's, he's, just, he's saying, we are, we are the Jesus representative. And when you look and say, well, did Jesus, did Jesus act the same way, does Jesus act the same way toward the church as I act toward my family at home? Then it gets, doesn't that get kind of dicey? I mean, I just can't picture Jesus coming into the living room going, get out of my recliner, or that's my drink. You know, I don't see that, those words, but those are words that come out of my mouth. <laughs> and my parent, and my children have been in church too long because they will sometimes feel bold and point out, would Jesus tell his children to get out of the recliner? To which I go to the flesh. Uh, I don't care what Jesus would do. You're getting out of my recliner. Grab an ear. Uh, but between husbands and wives, when we talk about submission, understand he has just told everyone in the church to submit to each other. So we're all submitting. This isn't a singling out wives, but he's just saying, He's trying to draw an illustration and say, you know how, when I'm talking about the church submitting to one another and then submitting to Christ, the picture of that is in the home. When a godly woman will simply submit to the leadership of her husband. Not because she isn't as smart as he is, not because she isn't better at something than, she, than he is, not because she isn't deserved to be the head of but because this is the way God has ordained the structure of this home. I mean, Jesus is not lesser than the Father, yet he submits to the Father. And this is, he's just saying, this is just how God has arranged it to show his power. And he's saying, if you will just simply do it this way, I will bless that. If you will, wives, if you'll submit to your husbands, then God says, I will bless that. And he's like, are you trusting and he's, and he's telling wives, are you trusting your own ability over my word? Are you saying, well, if I did that, nothing would get done in our home, and our home would fall apart, and it would all be a shambles, and so forth. And God is looking at you and saying, so do you think you are the Savior? Because Christ is the Savior. And he says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. This is husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless in the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now he's given us another word to help us understand submit, and that's the word respect. 
He's saying, I'm just asking wives to respect the role that I have placed their husband in. That is a tough thing. It's a tough thing to submit to anybody. It's a tough thing to, when you think you know the right way to do something and somebody else doesn't seem to be getting it, to say, I'm going to... And, and, but this is how it works out practically. Two people come together. If one person, as, as one person should... I'm loving my wife as Christ loves the church, and so I'm praying and asking God for direction and so forth. And I go to my wife and I say, this is what I believe God would have us to do. And she's like, I just don't see that. I like, I really, really feel this is what God would have us to do. And she's like, well, you know what, I would respect that. I respect that. And we'll trust it. And this is really what she's saying. I think it's going to fail. I think you're going to take us down a wrong path and we're going to get lost. But we'll get lost together. We'll do it together. You're going to fail, but I'm going to fail with you. Because we're one. That's, that's the picture of the gospel. It's not, she's like, this isn't about me being right. This isn't about us accomplishing the right thing. This isn't about us achieving something as whatever we're supposed to achieve in life. This is about you and me being in right relationship with one another. In order to show people the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. That I trust God that I trust Him. And that He said for me to do this, I'm going to do this. It will be pleasing to Him. And I want my children to see it. I want the community to see it. I want the church to see it. I want everybody to see that I believe in Jesus. Now, this gets distorted and twisted apart because when abuse enters into the situation, people say, well, you're saying that wives should stay in an abusive situation? No, that's not what I'm saying. You're saying that wives should be in a situation in a dangerous fit? That is absolutely not what I'm saying. I, that wouldn't apply to the church either. The church wouldn't be mutually submissive if somebody was doing something dangerous or harmful to other people. We deal with that. We call the police. We report to the authorities. There's a need for separation when things like that happen. This is not what we're talking about. This is talking about people who are striving to follow Jesus Christ. And in those situations, we submit to one another. That's That's the message of what we're trying to do. When sin is present, you call sin out. If, if a husband is being sinful and being abusive or, or whatever, unloving even, we call that out. But when we're each, when we're trying to come together and accomplish what it is God has for us to do, we are doing it so people can see Jesus. So we submit and love so others can see Jesus. Submit and love so others can see Jesus. And that, that's the undergirding thing. So when you're thinking about how do I respond to this situation, you're thinking how do I do this in a way that brings glory to Christ so people can see that He's Jesus. Husbands, I, I, what, how, do I, how do I, if I want people to see the power of Jesus, then I don't think in terms of, I, I know that Jesus lived, served, washed His disciples' feet. He live to help them to become closer to God, to achieve what it is that God created them to do. So my greatest mission in life is not to see this church be successful, but my wife to be successful in ministry. And as I help her to be successful in her relationship with Christ, that teaches me to be a better pastor. And it displays the gospel to my children and to the rest of the world. And as she submits to that leadership, trusting me as I'm trying to help empower her to be who she's called to be and submitting to that leadership, 
she also shows the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ to people. It brings the gospel to life. Because how can I be your pastor if I can't pastor my wife? If I can't, if I can't, if I can't train and equip her to do the ministry that she's been called to do, how can I train and equip you? My ministry starts at home. Submit and love others so they can love so others can see Jesus. Now let's stretch that out a little bit. Go from husbands and wives to kids, moms and dads. The family. Now, the world in which we live tries to say, they try so hard to say, we can have a family without a dad, we can have a family without a mom, we can have a family that where children are not biological children and so forth and so on. And, and, And so we're all, all these different messages are circulating. But let's just pay attention to the way God structures the family. He structured it so there is a husband and a wife, a father and a mother, and children. Period. There's no way you can do that. Now, so our goal is when that when those things aren't there, we repair the breach. We try to we strive to get back to that place. So if you don't sometimes sometimes a granddad has to step in and be the father figure. Sometimes somebody has to do foster care and step in. Sometimes children need to be adopted or stretched out. I mean, there, there's got to, I mean, he has a plan for orphans and widows that's in the Word. He's, he tells us that that is our highest religion we can do is to make sure that people who don't have don't have parents to oversee them that we provide parents. This should be. This is a ministry of the church. We adopt children into a relationship where there's a father and a mother, a husband and a wife, and when there's a single mom, we have to again. Bridge the gap. I'm not saying we have to go find her a husband and stick that, force her, force her to marry somebody. But we have to say, there's a there's a, a dad, there's a husband missing, so we need to f- fill that space because it's an important space to fill. And the church can fill those spaces. Jesus fills those spaces. And so don't but don't don't ever think they're unnecessary. They're always necessary. I mean, we have tons of statistics to show the value of a dad, the value of a mom, the value of a husband, the value of a wife, because these are things that God ordained, He created for the family. And what churches do is we repair families. And so we get a family and, and the pieces are missing. We say, how do we, how do we cover for this? How do we fill the place where there are holes and, and make these things work in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to God? And that's what we do. And then he gives instructions to children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. If there was any scripture I'd want to put on my wall, it'd be that one. In big letters. In fact, I've thought of having it tattooed on their bodies. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have long life in the land. Every parent should tell their children, you're going to die early if you don't do what I tell you. The Bible says so. <laughs> See, you get unsettled. I'm just reading it. Just telling you what it says. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I love how Paul felt that needed to be a qualifier thrown in there. He knows dads pretty well, apparently. 
Because we have a tendency to stir up anger in our children. And what, he's, what, he's, what it says is he's saying, don't frustrate your children. When they're trying to obey me, when they're trying to obey you, foster that obedience. Do not stir them to anger. Because an angry, rebellious child doesn't do anybody any good. So find a way to love them, yet hold them accountable. And it's not easy to do. These are not simple things that we just say, whatever. But this is, this is the, the groundwork for which we make these things work. This is, the, this is the foundation. When you and I put together the pieces, however those pieces are put together, it has to result in children obeying. Now, Paul doesn't say submit for children. He says obey. And here's a little lesson that was hard for me to learn. I raise my children. I do not raise my wife. I love my wife. And I encourage her and I try to help her accomplish what God has put her here to do. But I parent my children. I tell them what to do. And we've had that discussion many times. If they say, well, mom isn't doing it. And I say, well, mom's not my kid. You're my kid. You're going to do it because I'm telling you to do it. Obedience. We seem to shy away from that today with children. I I don't know what happened. I don't know. I know I know my father grew up in this on this planet and when he raised me, I never remember options. I never remember my father going, "Where would you like to eat today?" I never remember those words coming out of my father's mouth. I, always, I remember many times we're eating here. If you do not like anything that is served here, then you will not eat. Period. And he just assumed I'd get hungry at some point. And he was correct. I did. And learned to eat whatever it is they put up there. That was my father's guideline. The world doesn't seem to understand the relationship between parents. And maybe you fall in this. Your children should obey you. They should be taught to obey. Again, not exasperating them. You say, well, to win. He doesn't put a timeline on it. That's the crazy part. He says, honor your father and mother. In fact, that admonition, that commandment goes beyond childhood. It goes into our adult life. We are to honor our parents until we don't have parents. And whoever is in the parental role in our, in our life, we honor them because that's what's pleasing to the Lord. And this is the message to children. This is for Christians. This is for followers of Jesus Christ. It's not for the world. The world doesn't do this. Followers of Jesus do this. Followers of Jesus honor parents. Followers of Jesus obey their parents. And, and so when a child gives their heart to Christ, you should say, now that you're a follower of Jesus, this is why you do what your parents tell you to do. And so when teenagers come to me and say, my parents are so, un, you know, they're so whatever, inconsiderate, whatever, they ask me to do this and so unfair and so forth, I just simply direct them to this. It's like, are you, are you wanting to do what you want to do? Are you wanting to live your own life? Or are you wanting to follow Christ? Because if you're wanting to follow Christ, you do what your parents say. You honor them. I'm 51. 
My mother is 74. I'm a little bit afraid of her still. She impressed that upon me at a very young age. But I do what she says because she's my mother and I honor her as my mother. Because that's what God asked me to do. And that's it. So that people can see that. So that my children can see that. And so it reveals the gospel. They say, what if she's asking you to do something that's just, you know, crazy? So well, that's happened. But here's the point. I'm doing this to honor Christ. Not because I think I, I need to do what I need to do. I'm trying to demonstrate I do not believe I am the God of my own life. And I'm putting my faith in Him. I honor and obey so others can see Jesus in me. Jesus, when He was at the wedding, His mom came to Him and said, Hey, uh, we need wine. <laughs> I can't imagine my mom asking me for that. I mean, if you think I'm a good Baptist boy, well, who's Jesus? I mean, really, is Mary's asking him to do this. And what does he do? He says, woman, this is not my time. But then he does it, right? I mean, he does what she asked. See, he demonstrates that. If he demonstrates that, and he's Jesus... If he thinks this isn't the right moment for this, but you asked me to do it, so I'm going to do it because I'm honoring you, then absolutely that applies to me. So I honor and obey so others can see Jesus. And finally, the sponsored and the sponsored. I, 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 I struggled with this one because we're getting ready to talk about slaves and masters. And we slavery is like a whew, weird, crazy thing right now. Even though there are no slaves, that I, I mean, there is a child slave market, but that's not what anybody's talking about today, which, I mean, it, which really disturbs me, because there really is a problem in the sex trade market that needs to be addressed in our world. It seems like our world is talking about problems that don't, aren't real and talking and not addressing things that are very real. That's the sign. What... Paul is talking about here when he gets into slaves and masters is he's talking about a Roman system. He's not saying it's right or wrong, but he's saying it's just real. If you're indebted and you owe somebody a lot of money, you would go offer yourself and say, I don't have any way to pay you, but I will be your servant, your slave. And so you'd enter into a relationship with them, and so now you simply work for this person to work off your debt, and you may never work off the debt. That's what they did. Again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just that's the world in which they lived. And Paul said, we're not trying to fix this. Not trying to fix this system. It's just, it's to us, if you want to look at it, that's why I said it's kind of like the sponsored and the sponsors. There's everybody, everybody in our world, and every, every culture, every time period on the planet, there are people who need the help of others in order to make it, and then there are people who help others. Just think of it like this. If you don't have money, you need people who do. And if you have money, then there are people who need your money. If you don't have a place to live, then you need, and you have to live somewhere where somebody else has a place to live, and you live in that place, then you're the sponsored. If somebody's providing you shelter, if they're providing you whatever you need, then you are the one who is being sponsored by that person. How are you see yourself? Just kind of, that's who you are. Because this is the principles that apply. 
Principles apply to anybody who is either the one who's helping other people or the ones who are being helped. Because that was the system in which they had. The word slaves and masters just applied to the one who has versus the one who needed. And so all of us fit into one of those two categories at some point or another and sometimes at both at the same time. But this is what he says in verse 5. Chapter 6. He says, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Here is the massive revelation. We are all slaves. Period. And we have one master in heaven if we follow Jesus Christ. If we do not follow Jesus Christ, then we are submitting to the servitude of the devil. And that's it. I told you, there's only two sides in this. Either following after Satan or you're following after Christ. We all are born into this world following after Satan. We are all born into this. And so if we want to escape that, then we turn to Christ. Now the world doesn't want to hear that. The world doesn't want to believe that. We don't want to believe that. When Jesus was saying this to the people there, they said, we're, we're the sons of Abraham. We're not slaves to anybody. Which was kind of ironic because they were in their history. They were not slaves to anybody. Do you know who we are? And Jesus said, I know who you are. And you're all slaves. It's a sin. And we do the same thing today. We're not slaves. We're free people. We're Americans. Now, look around. People are enslaved all around us to sin. They can't escape it. They're chained to it. They are chained to something that will kill them. They are chained to death. We have a message that sets people free. And Jesus says, if you're free in me, you are free indeed. You are truly free. That's why Jesus is my master. That's, and he says that... I, I don't call you slaves anymore. I don't call you... And he was saying that... And what he, the language he's using is, is I'm, I'm not calling you people who are indebted to me anymore. I've, I've paid your debt. I call you friends now. I've set you free. I've paid the price for your... I've paid the price for your indebtedness to me so that we can be brothers and sisters, so that we can be free. And that's how we are. And he says, I want you to treat each other like that. I want you to treat each other with the same love that I'm giving to you just to cancel debt. See, you don't owe me anything. Yeah, but you did this for me and I got this from you and you took it. No, don't worry about any of that. I give it to you freely because we are free in Christ. That's why they sold their possessions and they gave them to one another and they said, you need money? Ah, here's money. You need to be taken care of? We'll take care of you. Some people are like, what is going on with these people? It's the gospel. 
So we learn from that. Serve with a good attitude and remember who your master is so others can see Jesus. In everything we do, whether it's children at home, whether it's adult children to our parents, when they ask us to do things, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's just being taken out the garbage, whatever, whatever it is we do, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, when there's something to be done, we do it at home, in the church, in the community. When we do it with a good attitude, we do it with a good attitude because we remember who our master is. I'm not doing it for you because you deserve it. I'm doing it for Jesus because he absolutely deserves it. I'm doing it for his glory so other people can see Jesus in me. And so how I do it reflects, is, depends on whether I reflect the gospel or not. So if I do it in a way that is humble and with joy, if I do it begrudgingly and angrily and I really want to do this but I'm going to do it, there's no gospel in that. There's no good news in that. The world, we all have to do that. We all do things we don't want to do and hate doing it. When we do it with joy in our hearts, people go, what is, what's the deal with that person? With a song in their heart, when we jump up and we do something we're not expected to do, and they say, what? what's different about you? We just have one answer. Jesus. So today, I'm just asking you to accept the role that Jesus gives you and perform it for His glory. We're going to take His supper today. We're going to participate in this meal. I'm so glad you're here today. It's our first time to do the Lord's Supper in a long time. I think since Christmas. Today we did a little bit different. We put the bread and the juice together. And uh, we didn't put the bread in the juice, just so you know. We put the bread under the juice. So I hope it's not too complicated. Two-cup system. We're testing this out. You're our guinea pig audience. And we're going to hand it out to you. But before we give it to you, the Bible tells us that we need to examine ourselves. And here is the point of examination today. As Daniel sings, go ahead and stand with me. Just an opportunity invitation. You, if you need to come forward to get this right, if you can do it right where you are. But this is, this is what it is. Because when we take this meal, we are remembering Christ. We are remembering that He submitted Himself to the will of the Father. He knew His role. And He never left that role. He did exactly what His Father asked Him to do. He went humbly into the Garden of Gethsemane and said, Father, if you have another cup for me, I would be really glad. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that needs to be our prayer today. I don't know where God finds each of us today, but I know this. If you are not in the role that He put you in, if you are not doing what He called you to do, then He is not getting the glory for your life. You are. And you shouldn't take of a meal in which you're thankful for His sacrifice for you when you're refusing to be the person He created you to be. And the good news is, you don't have to run 20 laps around the church to make that right. You just simply stop and say, no, God, you are my God. 
I remember. You are my Christ. You are the one I serve. I want to follow you. I'm going to be faithful to you. And so just pray that prayer today. Before you take, just say, God, thank you for dying for me and for my sins. I want to live the life that you called me to live. I want to be the person you created me to be. I want to do the role that you have put me here to do so that you might be glorified. Let's pray that now. Father, we just thank you, God, for how good you are. And Lord, we just, just voice those words to you. We are thankful. Lord, you have put us in a nation where we are free to worship you. However we feel led to worship you. So Lord, there are no hindrances by our government hindering us from being who you put us here to be. The only hindrances we have are our own sin. So Lord, you set us free from that. Lord, you you died so our sins can be forgiven. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are free to obey you today. Thank you for that. Thank you that everyone in this room can follow you. Now the question is, will we follow you? So Lord, may we commit to that today before we partake of this holy meal. In Jesus' name, amen.